Grace and peace be with you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The second commandment says that we should not misuse the name of the Lord our God. And the way that we understand this, of course, is that we should fear and love God so that we do not curse, swear, use satanic arts, lie, or deceive by God's name, but call upon it in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. It's a pretty interesting passage this evening. In this account from 1 Samuel 28, uh, in, in the 1 Samuel 28, we see uh, some very specific things. We see that King Saul violates the second commandment in just about every way that you can possibly violate the second commandment. Um, and, and it leads to this really uh, horrific, harrowing, harrowing fate for his sons and for him and for many Israelites. So what we'll see is that Saul did not just stumble out of bed and seek out a witch, but in fact, this was the culmination of a trajectory that Saul had already put in motion for, for many, many, many days and weeks and months, all of which led him to completely forsake the will of God. So what happened here? Saul was a desperate man. He was at war with the Philistines, this very imposing army. And at that time, the Philistines were big and bad, and they were gathering all their forces together, and they were going to come rain down a firestorm upon Israel. And because Saul had already established this pattern of not listening to God and he had turned away from him several times, the Lord actually closed his mouth to Saul, not giving him any revelation through dreams or through the prophets. Now, why would God do such a thing? Why would God close his mouth off to the anointed king? Why would he do that? Why would he not even speak to him through Samuel? God's prophet before Samuel had died. Why would this be the case? Doesn't God always want to speak with us no matter how many times we mess up? I'll remind you that Saul was, Saul was God's appointed king for the nation of Israel, which was his chosen people. Saul, Saul was held to a much higher standard as this leader of the holy nation. He had plenty of opportunities to repent and turn towards God in obedience, but he continued his destructive path through things like refusing to execute God's justice on Amalek. He also tried to kill David multiple times. He was disobedient in several different ways. There was this pattern with King Saul. Things would start out pretty good. They would start out on the right foot under his leadership and under his authority, but they would go off track really quick because of his disobedience. And here, in this account, was another example we see that he actually did right by putting the mediums and the necromancers and what have you out of the land. He did that according to God's law. So, check. He was doing pretty good. But now, in desperation, Saul completely turns away from God and he seeks the counsel of a medium or, or a witch. Or the actual Hebrew says, a ghost wife. A ghost wife. It's quite common that Whenever people do not hear the things that they want to hear from God or from His Word, they will turn to the occult. They will turn to a medium, a psychic, a necromancer, tarot reader, these types of things. We want to peer behind the veil into things that God has not revealed to us. But here comes Saul. He's fully disguised. He comes by night. 
And he comes to this medium, this ghost wife of Endor, that he might have her perform a seance for him. Interesting enough, uh, this witch was at Endor. Um, wasn't there a te- television show or something back in the day uh, 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 about witches? Um, what was the one about? Was it like I Dream of Genie or something like that? I think her mom's name was Endora, by the way, uh, just in case you want a little bit of Hollywood trivia. Ho- well, bewitched, bewitched, there it is. Okay, very good. Endora, so that's where that's from. So Hollywood knows their Old Testament, right? That's what we can divine from that. So anyway, so Saul intended to break the second commandment <clears throat> by participating in satanic arts, but watch him go a step further. The woman asks him, why are you trying to trap me? Don't you know that Saul, King Saul has already put the necromancers out of the land? He's put the mediums out? You're trying to lay a trap for me? Get me in trouble? Now watch, watch Saul's answer. Saul answers in the name of the Lord and in defiance of his own edict. He says, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. He lied right through his teeth and he invoked the name of God in doing so. So he pressures her into conjuring up this shade of Samuel. There's some debate on whether or not, whether or not this was the true Samuel um, or whether it was really Samuel or maybe it was, it was a demonic spirit that the Lord God used to deliver these words. Um, Luther and some of the church fathers actually thought that this was an imposter. Now, whether it was the real Samuel or not, this shade of Samuel actually spoke the truth. Saul had not obeyed the voice of God. The kingdom was to go into the hand of David, and the Philistines would have victory over Israel. Saul and his sons would die. And they did. The book of 1 Samuel actually concludes with his sons getting killed in war, many of the Israelites falling in battle, and then Saul suffers a grisly fate. He falls on his own sword. God had judged him for the many wicked things he had done, including his failure to revere the name of the Lord, his God. It's a pretty, pretty strange story, right? What does this have to do with us? Are we going to witches to perform seances for us? I hope not. Most of us are not tempted to turn to the occult and so forth. We're probably not, but but we violate the second commandment in other ways, even in our everyday speech. You see, the fact is that God's name is where He has located His holiness. It's where He has located His reputation and His promises. It's that same name that you and I are baptized into. It's the name that you bear in your everyday life as a Christian. It's the name that we should fear and love above all others. God takes His name seriously. And He will not overlook the sins of those who despise it. When we take any of the persons of the Trinity, when we take their names onto our lips in a way that does not honor God, we have used His name to curse. OMG. Jesus Christ, if you use that as a cuss word. Things like this. This is the opposite of what God intends for us, actually. He instead wants us to call upon His name, to seek His help and His aid in every trouble, 
to invoke his name, to pray, to praise him, and to give thanks. He does not permit us to use his name like a worn-out garment that we no longer care for because we're so familiar with it. Another way that we tend to break this commandment is by using God's name to deceive, much like Saul did, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally. Luther talks about this in the large catechism. He says, it means misusing God's name when we call upon the Lord God, no matter how, in order to deceive or do wrong of any kind. Therefore, this commandment makes this point. God's name must not be appealed to falsely or taken upon our lips while the heart knows well enough or should know that the truth of the matter is different. God's name cannot be misused worse than for the support of falsehood and deceit. And this, of course, includes false teachers, people who are called to deliver God's word, but instead use his word. They peddle it for shameful gain. Seems like they're teaching God's word. They're using Bible verses after all, but they are truly deceivers. Wolves in sheep's clothing. I could name names, but I won't waste your time. God will in no way hold them guiltless, but they will give an account for every careless word spoken in His name. So that's one way to deceive by God's name. Wolves and false teachers aside, we Christians also have an... We have a responsibility to bear this name of God in our conduct, in our actions, and in our speech, in our words. Because God puts His name upon us, He expects that we speak in His name to others about His grace and mercy through our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't speak to others in God's name so that we might manipulate them or coerce them or hoodwink them like Saul did. We speak in God's name in order that we might bring His law and His gospel to people so that they might be granted blessing, comfort, repentance, and the forgiveness of sins for the sake of Jesus Christ. So for every careless word that we've spoken about God or in God's name, for every time that we have failed to call upon God for aid, for every instance in which we've dabbled with Ouija boards, tarot cards, horoscopes, or psychic mediums to, to reveal the truth to us. For every which way that we have defiled and misused His holy and precious name, God has laid that punishment that was justly coming to us for our blasphemy. He has laid that punishment upon the back of His Son, Jesus Christ. It was Jesus who refused to take the name of the Lord his God in vain. It was he who lived the sinless and spotless life as a man, never failing to call upon the name of God, never failing to, to praise his name, to give thanks and honor to God. And because of his obedience, my friends, even to the point of death on a cross, God has raised him from the dead and has bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. And it's at the name of Jesus that we should bow and confess that he is Lord to the glory of God our Father because he has fulfilled this commandment for us. Where we have failed, Christ has succeeded. And because he has succeeded, we too succeed in him. 
So let us repent for the ways in which we have mistreated God's name. During this Lenten season, let us receive the forgiveness of sins that is won for us on the cross of Christ. Let us endeavor to amend our lives and take seriously the the great blessing and privilege that it is to know God's name. The great blessing that it is to be baptized into that name and to have it as our own into eternity. Amen.